Hi, everyone, and welcome to Play on K. And before the show starts, we just wanted to give a shout out to our new Patreon subscriber, Holly. Yes, hi, Holly. Welcome. We're really excited to have you. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait to talk to you more on our Patreon about what's going on there. Yeah, if you have any questions for us or suggestions about shows you'd like us to watch or anything at all, reach out to us on Patreon. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you, thank you for eternity always so much for supporting us. We appreciate it so, so much. Yeah, if any of our other listeners are thinking about becoming Patreon subscribers, we do these shoutouts, and you can find us at patreon.com slash playonk and see what our tier levels are like. They're pretty darn affordable. Yeah, now on to the show. Welcome to Play on K, the Korean drama podcast with Emily and Raquel. And this is a show where we take a K-drama, we watch it four episodes at a time, and then we get together here every week to talk about it. Yeah, this week we watched episodes 17 through 20 of Mr. Sunshine. (laughs) You said this just before we started, but I want to reiterate, we are underqualified to talk about this beautiful show and these four episodes in particular um they were just so jam-packed full of information and things happening and drama and heavy feelings and characters getting torn down and built back up and picking themselves up after tragedy and it was just i just feel like there's no way to do all of it justice because every ounce of it is so good i don't have a single criticism for this show i don't have a single one nope It's perfect. It's beautiful. And how are we supposed to (laughs) convince you of that when it's already true? I, yeah, I'm intimidated for sure. There was a huge shift in these four episodes from a more typical K-drama where in the first part of the show I was so heavily invested in the love stories especially, but also just the drama of the characters and their individual lives, whereas in episode 20 in particular, it was almost entirely about the country and what is going to happen to Joseon, and that shift happened really slowly throughout the four episodes, but it came to a head, certainly, in episode 20, where I was like, I don't need this scene with Aishin and Eugene. I don't need any of their scenes anymore, which blew my mind, but I was done with them for at least a minute, and I was like, get back to the real stuff. (laughs) I totally know what you mean, though, because I'm not used to being not interested in a love story, not because the love story isn't amazing, because this one is, but because the rest of the drama is so flawless that I can't focus on love because there's a war and Joseon deserves its sovereignty and fucking these people are so good and some of them are dying and some of them are surviving and I don't know who's going to die and who's going to survive but I'm so invested in every single 
person and I don't have time for you two to be worried about being in love because there's so many bigger things. It's that feeling of kind of thinking about yourself compared to the vastness of the universe where I'm like, I'm looking at your love story and it's beautiful and it might, it's what brought all of this together and so it's important, but I just can't with you two, please. Especially when we've said the past couple episodes, it's so many times they are forced apart and then they choose to overcome it and come back together and then they're forced apart once again and you almost can't tell when these things are happening. They're very subtle and time is passing but you're not sure how much time. You're never sure if they're actually together or if they're going their separate ways and it's all fine. I'm interested in all of it but when that has become pretty static and something we can rely upon, we can rely on Aishin and Eugene never knowing where their love lies. Right. We don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the drama, and so that becomes so much more interesting. And it's so unique. I've never, I've never seen a drama hold together so many moving parts at once and it not be distractingly chaotic but this is not distract it's chaotic but it's not distractingly chaotic it doesn't detract from the story that they have all these moving pieces it feels realistic it feels real like there's actually this intrigue happening within this country and every single person has their own motivations for doing there's no two people that are on 100 percent the same page of what they're doing and why they're doing it yes what is that? It It's flawless. It's flawless, <laughs> but it is stressful. Because, yeah, you're, you're watching Hinakudo work as essentially an agent of the Righteous Army. But she doesn't... It's not because she's fighting for the Righteous Army. And it reaches a point where it's not even necessarily that she's fighting for her mom anymore. Because she finds out that her mom is dead. It's that she's just found herself in this position where she knows so much and it's a burden, but she has to do something with that knowledge. And so it's not even like, I'm here to save Joseon, it's I'm here to do the job that I feel responsible to do. And that's so nuanced and real, and it's no one's a pure hero in this whole show. No one's... Actually, there actually there might be like one or two people that are like, "I'm here to fight for my country," but and only my country. But still, like they're usually not working together. It's not like those little noble boys that yeah. join the military fighting with Asian because they're both like, "I'm here to fight for my country and only my country." It's like we've got the leader of the righteous army who's also in the court of the emperor who's here to try to just stop selling his country away and then it trickles down to like Gunnar Jong who watched people die like that he loved for their country and is kind of reconciling all of his conflict with that but picking up their mantle and I don't know I I've talked for a really long time straight I, I just... really want you to just go forever it's so good <laughs> I'm reliving every scene that you're describing I just, there's so much to it. I can't, 
I can't imagine a more realistic way to handle people's allegiances because I think that that's how complex the world is and how complex people are that they don't have the same reason for doing things even if they have are doing the same thing together mm -hmm. it means different things to them that as well as seeing how differently all these people are living through a war time where it's so insular almost at least the first part of the show it seemed so somewhat safe in Joseon or at least in their little town where they could kind of go about their daily lives, especially Aishin could go about her daily life and sneak off to the mountains when she wanted to, but it was all fairly safe and contained, and there was this hint of danger where, I mean, the fact that Eugene even came to Korea was a sign of things changing and um, maybe Joseon being in danger. But you're kind of into these stories, these individual storylines of people who are just living through this incredibly tumultuous time. And your focus is so much on each of them that it's almost relaxing. You don't have to worry about the huge consequences of their actions. And I think that's why these last four episodes have made me so anxious. Where it's like everything that they're doing, every little move that each individual person that we have started to care about makes, has these massive impacts on the fate of their country. And that's so insane and so beautifully done. Right, just the escalation has been... It's almost like it was imperceptible and then one day you realized, oh, even when things were dangerous in the first half of this K-drama, they were nowhere near, there was no stake even near as high as all of a sudden every stake is in the second half of this K-drama. And uh -huh. you don't see that transition. I'm sure there's like a scene that marks specifically when things really become, I mean, I think if we really had to pin it down, it's when Wan Ik goes after Lord Go in a more substantial way and it results in the death of Lord Go. But mm -hmm. but even still before that things were slowly escalating and slowly escalating and then all of a sudden that was just this catalyst that launched the entire country into absolute chaos in a way that people don't even realize cuz you see the townsfolk going on their with their lives day to day mm -hmm. concerned about the impending war but also every character that's involved with the secret war that's happening is just it's wild there's not a single person whose decisions aren't about to impact like you said the entire country oh it's so good it's so good i feel like one of the characters that really stands out to me and epitomizes that shift is dong mei where he started the show as kind of this uh i don't want to call him small time because he seemed like he owned at least an area of this city and everyone was afraid of him and he could do anything he wanted and he was terrifying for it. He was this huge presence that was awful to everybody around him and now he seems like such a small person 
when you've got Takashi Mori and the head of the Yakuza, who probably also has a name, both coming at him and being like, you are nothing, you are a small little person. And I'm like, not Dongmei, he he has a whole team, he's got a very scary team of elite swordsmen, and they're like, nope, he's nothing compared to us. And I'm like, I could tell by the clothes, but I hate it. I hate that there's so <laughs> many, like, bigger fish in this ocean now. Yeah, in a way, because like you said, when um, the boss of the Mucin Society shows up, and uh, it's almost kind of like a, I gave you this power, Dongmei, and he has a Japanese name as well that I did not bother to write down, like a monster. <laughs> um, but he's he's essentially like, I gifted you this power, but I can take it away. Your men are my men. Your power is my power. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that's such a huge shift in his character. It's so frightening to see... Um... The boss come in and that kind of, I think it was episode 20, maybe towards the end, where they find out where Dong Mei realizes that his boss coming into town means that Dong Mei is, has been deemed useless. Like, they should have hired Dong Mei to take the emperor's man, Lee Jong Moon, is that his name? Uh, the leader of the righteous army who works with the emperor. He was kidnapped, and Dong Mei realizes that if he wasn't hired for that job and his boss was coming directly to do it himself, then Dong Mei was kind of out. He had been ousted, deemed useless, and almost put back on the streets. And you're like, that's so hard to comprehend how far we've come from the beginning of the show when Dong Mei was everything. Yeah, he was... Among the most influential people in at least their province. And everyone was terrified of him. Like, he would walk through the streets and people would cower. And now he's nothing. How? Ah. Um, I do want to say, and this is one of my notes this week. <laughs> I have taken notes so consistently through this drama. Wow. Um. Kim Hui-sung is an absolute icon in every single episode. Mm -hmm. He's the smallest fish in this fishbowl, <laughs> and he still is just such an icon. I, He has my whole heart. Right? When he goes on a blind date with Hina, which I did not realize was a blind date at the time, <laughs> but I was like, these two. I mean, every time Hui-sung or kind of any of our main characters is in a scene with any other character. I'm like, I ship it. But <laughs> Huisong and Hinakudo, I was like, the daddy issues gang. Get it, bud. Like, that is such a good pairing. But Huisong doesn't need no woman. He is doing so well. And I'm so proud of him becoming such a person. I don't know that we talked about it last week, and I can't believe we missed it. Maybe we did talk about it, and I just don't remember, but him starting a newspaper is so good. Like, what I needed for him to do, and then 
his first publication being that he breaks the news of the protest that Lord Go sparks amongst the scholars of Korea. Okay, pretty good newspaper. <laughs> I'd buy that. I don't know if people have to buy it because you seem to have kids just throwing them in the streets, but I would buy it. Yeah, it's very I good. love that for you. Um, I think I wrote that down shortly after. I mean, there were a lot of scenes that I thought, oh, iconic, iconically song, <laughs> yes. Um, but it was shortly after. So he he saves Dong Mei when Dong Mei gets shot in the streets. He's the reason <gasps> Dong Mei survives. Right. So first of all, yes, boy, please. Um, <laughs> you love to see it. And his concern for Dongmei is beautiful and, like, beautifully communicated because his whole character is perfection. And then when he goes back to see Dongmei uh, in the hospital, so it's before they have their little fight because Dongmei makes some decisions, <laughs> um, he is pretty much just there to antagonize him, but in the most friendly way. And it's just so iconic that there's nothing that Dong Mei can say to him that is off-putting in any way for Hui Song's character in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, you know, you were you were a lot sweeter when you were asleep. Get get more sleep, buddy. <laughs> I think, yeah, everything that made Hui Song so annoying in the first few episodes has made him so endearingly charming when you get to know him as a character. And that is so well done. Just such good character writing. Because he still, he meets Takashi Mori at some point, And he is the exact yes. same person to Mori that he was to Dong Mei and Eugene when he first met them. Just this, like, way too over-the-top, annoyingly enigmatic person that you're like... Takashi really wants to like him. I feel like he does, but obviously <laughs> he hates him and wants to shoot him in the face. That's the vibe. Huisong has never changed in that way. But for some reason, around the people he knows, he is, those traits become so endearing. And, oh, it's just lovely. Yeah, and then getting to watch those traits used against an enemy, because we don't get that very often. I'm sure it's happened before in the show, but to get to watch him kind of work Takashi mm -hmm. over a little bit, because Takashi just thinks that he has so much control over that situation. And Huisong's like, I know you won't kill me, because you have nothing to gain by killing me. There's nothing that you can get out of this. It would just be stupid. Um... So I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to antagonize you. <laughs> oh, it's it so good. so nervous, but it's so good. Um, I don't want to sound hyperbolic because I have said it before during the show and I'll say it again, but I might have a new favorite scene. Okay. Maybe of any K-drama. And it is the scene where Asian... Her whole family is being wiped out at the 49th day memorial service for her grandfather. And first of all, amazing that Hui Song stood his ground and helped protect her family. So beautiful. Kesh me but, crying at that scene. Yeah, for real. 
Um, and then the moment that he thinks that the jig is up for him, and he he's essentially like you can see there's fear it's not that he's unafraid to die but there's also like the resignation Mm -hmm. and then a shin from the rooftop takes out snipes the three men running straight for him um i actually want to read what just like the exact note i wrote because it's a little bit long but it I I wanted to get all of the feelings of yeah. how I felt about it. So I said, the moment that Asian saved Huisong, I kind of wished that they were in love. There was a moment that I just really wanted them to be in love so that he could be her damsel in distress and that she could protect him and be his shield because that's what he wanted to offer her. And all of a sudden, she's shielding him after after he gave her everything that she needed from him. And then the last part of my note is, but it's also beautiful that she just saved her friend. Oh, because we love a romantic damsel in distress, but also the fact that they can be friends and have chosen to be friends is so pure and so respectable, especially like no shade to other K-dramas. You know I'm addicted to them, but... It just doesn't happen very often between men and women, and especially ex-lovers, to be like, we can still be best friends in the whole world. I think that's something really special about this show, and maybe because it is such a high-stakes show where the emotions are at a 10 because their country is at war, but it's just so nice to see so many mature people being able to prioritize their relationships with each other and be able to be friends and know who their friends are and who is worth being around. It's just nice to see in a K-drama. You love to see it, especially in this K-drama where every emotion is at a 10 I feel like it's impossible for even us to be telling jokes during this. <laughs> we're, we're eking a few in, you know? We've got our little sneaky jokes here and there. But, like, it's going to be hard to make this a super comical episode. But they are still bringing in themes like platonic love mm-hmm. and gratitude. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm also worried about everything happening. But thanks for the beautiful writing as well, just constantly. <laughs> never a wasted it. moment yeah. oh that's a good favorite scene that was a brutal scene I almost for sure cried when Huisong was sacrificing himself I bawled like a stupid baby when Aishin was saying goodbye to her aunt I you know I love her two assistants Freaking, when I thought Miss Haman had died, I was all torn up inside. But her saying goodbye to them was like, oh, that's really sad. For some reason, her saying goodbye to her aunt tore my heart open. I don't know why. I think there was a part of like her reveal to her aunt, aunt as well, where she had to, because her aunt was not, privy to everything she had been doing and so it was kind of a revelation to be like this is where I've been 
This is what I've been doing my whole life, essentially. Grandpa knew. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't sorry. tell you. Um, and up until this very moment, I was the little girl you raised and protected. But actually, um, I've got a job to do and you have to go. It was really and heartbreaking. And her saying, I'll be right behind you. I'll be there. And her aunt saying, I'll wait for you every single day. It's like, oh, but don't do that. Don't do, you're going to be waiting forever. Don't, just maybe forget I, about Aisheen. This daughter that you've raised as your own. <laughs> oh. It makes me too sad. Oof. I had, I think the moment that probably got me the most was, I don't know, there were a couple of really, really big moments, but I I think the scene that really kind of broke me down was her reconciliation with her grandpa, because the way they ordered those scenes mm-hmm. was perfection to do the most damage it was perfectly (laughs) tailored to hurt you the most where after he's already passed she knows because he essentially was like i don't think i'll make it through the night um but i want you to forgive me and i want you to live and then it kind of circled back on itself when she finally let herself feel the grief at his funeral that she wasn't allowed to attend Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then the Emperor showed up, and for some reason that made me really emotional. Right? That he showed up and he bowed. The Emperor has probably never bowed in his entire life. And he bowed to Lord Go. Yeah, Lord Go's death broke me first, but it was not the only time <laughs> I cried. <laughs> there were a lot of... I did have a little panic when I thought Dong Mei might die. I thought it was a little soon for him to go. Right? But also he isn't a Shin and he isn't Eugene. So, so I, I just thought he was gone. Yeah, I just didn't know because he doesn't have the main character armor. Mm-hmm. Um and we are in the last it was within the last like third of the drama, so it's reasonable to assume. He might not make the cut. Yeah. Dong Mei and Hui Sung came really close, and they got me nervous. And then they're like, no, 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 don't worry. We have so many characters to kill off first. Hey, why don't we relax a little bit? I'm a bit on edge here. I'm a bit frazzled. And they're like, no, no break for you. Mm -mm. First, we're going to take Lord Go. And that will ruin you when you see 19 scenes in a row of him being the best person. We want to build him up so we can take him away from you. <laughs> He's gone That's now. That's fun. <laughs> um, speaking of Gudong Mei making the cut, remember when he cut her hair? Yeah. I did a little research, um, and I found a site that talks about this, um... This is going to get a little meta because I found it on campusconnection.blogspot.com. But then from there, um, they kind of quote Wikipedia. But they said that um, maybe you understood the significance, but I didn't. So I wanted to 
know more because it felt like she was mad and I could understand why she was mad and I could understand that there was also cultural reasons behind her being mad, but I didn't know what those were. Yeah, that's where I was at. Um, so I'm just going to read it and say uh, from from the site, which is perhaps the most talked about scene of Mr. Sunshine is in episode 18 when Dongmei cuts off Asian's hair, which is in the Dengi Maori style of unmarried Joseon women. Finding out later on in episode 19 what Dongmei did, Lord Go beats him repeatedly and warns him to stay away from Asian or else be punished the way that butchers are punished from Joseon laws. Eugene goes to challenge him, and he sung punches him repeatedly. Aishin, meanwhile, cries in shame as her grandfather comes to see her. Why did Aishin, Lord Go, Eugene, and Hui Sung react in the way that they did? Simply stated Confucian- Confucianism, which is the foundation of the Joseon dynasty, prohibited the cutting of a person's hair because it is a part of the person's legacy from his or her parents, which she says, but you don't know that that that's, I guess, specifically why it's part of the Confucianism foundation. And then this is where it quotes Wikipedia, and it says the classical or the classic filial piety, also not known by its Chinese name as the Shuaojing, is a Confucian classic treaty giving advice on filial piety, that is, how to behave toward a senior such as a father, an elder, brother, or ruler. It's And then it goes on to state, Our bodies, to every hair and bit of skin, are received by us from our parents, and we must not presume to injure or wound them. This is the beginning of filial piety. Wow. So, it's like a religious thing. Like, a philosophical religious thing that he cut her hair when it was not his to cut. Sir, that's so much worse than I thought. Yeah, boy, you were already freaking in last place in her heart, but you just got downgraded from third place to never moving out of third place. So my understanding was that he cut it kind of to be like, to push her away emotionally and be like, don't ever come near me again. I'm going through some stuff, and I want to protect you, because Wanik is after you, so this is my way of doing that. But that feels like a bit, bit much for just you trying to emotionally push someone away, bud. It's muddled reasoning. It feels difficult to track uh, the exact reason of how that helps protect her. Um, what? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we learned today. Yeah, I'm glad you looked that up because I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, that's really sad. But when you're like, no, it's literally rule number one of familial piety. Like, don't mess with this woman who already had her parents taken from her. Mm. Dong Mei, come on. What? Uh, Dong Mei? That's messed up. Why That's messed do you, up. Why are you the way you are? Like, we've seen it, actually, on screen for 18 hours of why you are the way you are. But also, it's a lot, bud. <laughs> Keeps being a lot. Um, remember when Aishin killed Wanik? 
Ooh, yeah. And then Hinakuda went full fucking doesn't give a shit anymore. Full rogue. Who was that lady that walked into the room and was like, hello, I know how to set up a murder. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, just almost, almost terrifying watching her be like, pick up that paper. Oh, you're right-handed. I was like, oh, I know what that means. <laughs> Ina Kuno. Oh my god. Brutal. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Um, She is something else that I can't even begin to describe. She's a wild card for sure. I think she has the most... No, I can't say she has the most layers. Everyone has way too many layers, but... <laughs> a bunch of ogres in here. <laughs> but she's got a lot of them. She does. Uh, one of my notes is about her and her immaculate, immaculate control of her facial expressions. Mm. Um, for example, she has a fake smile that she gives to people that is almost in every way the same as her real smile that she occasionally will gift to a person, except that you know it's fake and you know that person is fucked if she gives it to them. <laughs> Because she fake smiles at the French guy after she's tricked him into believing that she's interested in going to f France with him. Mm-hmm. And he goes to walk out and she, like, gives the fake smile at him as he goes. And you know it's a fake smile, but he doesn't know it's a fake smile. And I understand why he doesn't know it's a fake smile, because she's very good. She's just it's very, very good. Perfect. Was this, in these four episodes, did she sword fight a member of the Japanese military? Oh, yeah, it totally was in these episodes. Okay, what? Hina. <laughs> okay, Hina. I mean, sword fight every episode. I love to see it. But wow, what a dangerous game you're playing. Also these men are rowdy, and they all have guns as well. Also, yeah. too, as well. They have the swords, and then they have the guns. And I'm, I'm not glad. saying you should back down, like, yeah. fuck them up, but... But I'm glad this is Josan, because maybe American military officers have more honor, but I feel like in a bar fight you would just get shot. But uh, it, this, it was pretty clear of, like, I have challenged you to a duel, so everybody else back up, okay, make the circle, do the fight, fight, fight chant, <laughs> and I will be dueling, thank you. But, yeah, it was interesting to see, because she's trained in fencing, and you would assume that a Japanese soldier would have been trained in kendo, but I feel like they were fighting in the same style. I do want to rewatch the scene 900 times and pretend I know mm -hmm. anything about anything and try and analyze it, though. That's my <laughs> plan for the week. I'll get back to you. That'll be part of the bonus episode. <laughs> Is me being like, one scene, sword fighting tactics, let's watch their footwork, let's see their lunges. What style of sword fighting are we using? I'll get back to you. Yeah, Everybody let me know. That. I'm interested. I want to know. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, kendo. Sure. You knew <laughs> the word for it and I didn't, so. <laughs> it's definitely more popular here in Japan than it is in America. That tracks, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
man, that Japanese military is the worst. Yeah, getting really... I actually finally reached a point where I had to look away from the screen, maybe for the first time in a K-drama, perhaps, because when they were torturing the members of the Righteous Army that they had captured, that was rough. That was rough. Like, they're... They were pretty brutal in raiding that 49-day memorial ceremony. But I th- I think you're right that just beating people to death definitely felt a lot worse. Yeah. It was all rough. It was all just very rough. They you know these rowdy these rowdy Japanese soldiers. <laughs> uh I yeah. Mm, it's hard Living in modern Japan and knowing it as a good place with good people and being blissfully ignorant of the horrifying history. Wow, get some exposure up in here. Good for shows like Mr. Sunshine being like, no, there's a reason that China, Korea, and Japan still have a lot of bad blood today. Yeah, there's some tension. There's some tension. There's, there's some centuries-old tension. But I feel like as Americans, you can never fathom that. Yeah. Because in America, we take the tension that we created with other people, and then we pretend it's fine now. You sweep that under the rug. Thank you. <laughs> Ooh, that's way worse. You yeah. know? Um, but, yeah, it's one of those things that is hard to comprehend, uh, because it's, it's a different kind of tension from a different history, both atrocious, but difficult to understand because we've, we've learned about our own issues and very few other people's. Mm-hmm. Even then, we know we've scratched the surface of our own issues, But dang, it's hard to see firsthand how eradication of a country happens. Yep. Ooh. (laughs) That's scary. That hurts. Can we get back to, like, Liwanik? Like, he was an annoying, awful, terrible villain. But somehow Takashi Mori is worse. Thank you for that. Takashi Mori is interesting because I remember seeing him in the first episode and thinking, that guy's going to come back and he doesn't seem great. And then it's not necessarily... I I told myself, remember that guy, but I didn't because so much has happened since we first saw him. They've jam-packed every episode so full of things happening that when he made his his re-entry into the show... I was, like, mad at myself that I had forgotten about his existence. It's like, damn it, Raquel. You, if you look away, for two, if you forget about the bad guy, he's going to come back and he's going to be really bad. Mm-hmm. And he was. You were supposed to hold him off with your memory. <laughs> but he came back worse than ever. I'm proud of you. I forgot about him completely. Jason was like, I still don't recognize him even after the flashbacks. <laughs> I was like, okay, we can rewatch the episodes. Like, we can rewatch this whole show forever. I don't mind. Every day. 
yeah. every day. But yeah, my memory for faces did not let me down. It forgot <laughs> everyone's face ever. You know who I feel like we've barely talked about this episode? Is it Eugene? Yeah, I feel like we just haven't talked about him, but I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say about what he's up to. Like, I was it's all great. About Aisheen. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to talk about our two leads because a lot of what they're up to is cloaked in mystery, or it's sadness about them not being together, mm-hmm. which is beautifully done, and it's beautifully portrayed by the actors. And there's so many beautiful scenes of them thinking of each other, and every scene is full of so much longing and sadness. But also, there's just not like. Just now, I said about all all there is to say about it, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. I feel like they've almost become support characters in this shift from uh, being a more classic K-drama, where they were the two leads and every thought you had was about them, to this wartime drama that the whole country is at risk, and you're like, I'm interested in what the two of them are doing for the country, and for the people that they care about, but that's kind of all they're up to, is just, it it has been reduced to feeling like they're just interacting with other characters, and that's, I mean, that's a show. It feels very surreal to be like, I don't know, Eugene's whole character is just him interacting with other characters, but that's fine by me. It's just not as interesting as the people that he's supporting and the things that they're doing. Yeah, he used to be the man making the plans, and right now he's kind of the backup for whatever mm-hmm. plan, and he does a great job. The mission that he and Gunnar Jang pulled of humiliating Takashi Mori? Oh, whoa. So good. The him taking those four scholar boys under his wing and mentoring them, so cute. Yes, love it. He saved three of their lives. Sorry, fourth boy with the baby face. You were a bad spy. Yep, you did a bad job. Lesson learned, and I'm really sorry for that. Mm-hmm. But you were a bad spy, but a good friend. <laughs> we're proud of you, bud. But yeah, I feel like. What you said was a good way to put it. Eugene used to be the one making the plans, and now he's just helping other people see their plans come to light. And same with Aishin. I feel like having her entire life torn apart has freed her to devote all of her time to the Righteous Army, which is very cool, but it no longer requires her to make any decisions about what she ever wants to do. She's just like, I'll do what the Righteous Army wants me to do. Like, that's me now. What's up? Yep. And I am, I kind of assume that it's, that that feeling about those characters is very specifically centered around these four episodes. Because I think in the coming episodes, we'll see more as she boards the ship to go to America, quote, 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 quotation marks. Those don't show up in a podcast very well. (laughs) but um i think that there will be a lot with that i can't tell to what extent eugene understands that she's not actually planning on going to america i don't even know 
feels like we might not even get out of Korea, you know? It feels like something is going to happen that keeps us here. But it would be an interesting character arc for her to go back to the place she was born where her parents were fighting against the Japanese influences uh, in Korea, like Wanik. Um, Mm -hmm. But then also, like, I just... I'm trying to envision a situation in which they go to Japan and setting up almost like a new world to an Mm -hmm. area to function in it feels like changing too many rules if anyone can do it it's this show but i don't know yeah it's hard to imagine they've had so many changes in setting but at the same time they have kept it really grounded with mostly staying in the same city and the same jemopo harbor and the same river so it's it will be surprising if they shift to a, an entirely different country, but they could pull it off. I just don't know. I don't know if we need it. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I'm interested in them, and I know they're going to bring it back so that I'm wholly invested in what the two of them are doing again. But f- throughout these four episodes, I was like, let's give me more scenes with the Emperor. Which surprised me. Yeah. He should be a much more boring character than he is, but whenever he's on screen, I'm like, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? Is he going to impart wisdom? Because he's done that before. Is he going to make a plan? Because he's done that shit before, and I did not expect that from him. But he is more Mm -hmm. cunning than I expected. I'm so proud of him from how far he's come at the beginning of the show. To who he is now and being able to see ten steps ahead and lock Lord Go Up for his protection and be like, that will turn my people against Japan. The line that he says, my rage is powerless, the rage of my people is not. Oh my god, sir. Yeah, shivers. I've been shivered. (laughs) Look at you go. You are so Um, much more than your good jackets. Which are always so good. (laughs) Bruh. Bruh. (laughs) Um, I love how he was able to win over Gunner Jing, who was ready to blow his dumb face off. He came into that palace thinking, actually, this is a great gig for me because I'm going to do a murder to, (laughs) I will protect this man at all costs. Uh Uh-huh. What is that oh that is the type of relationship i'm interested in right now yep that's good leadership if you can take a person who wants to kill you and turn them into a loyal subject who wants to protect you at all costs you've really uh you've really learned how to lead your your people in your time living in a palace in solitude how you've had such good advisors i guess he had a good teacher. He had a good teacher. Oh, I literally have nothing to actually say about this last thing that I want to bring up. I would just feel really, really bad about not bringing it up at all. So I want to talk about it. Um, Literally just say it. it. I was very properly sad. I'm sure you were. We were all supposed to be sad. And I was about Gunnar Jung's wife. 
That's what I was going to say, but I was like, does that weir- leave our podcast at a weird place if, like, that's the last thing we talk about? Because, We've really like paced said, this I don't strangely. know what to say. Yeah. Except to be, like, sad, right? Okay, thanks for listening. <laughs> I was so heartened by her handling the man in the boat, and I thought she was really going to make it out of that situation alive. Right? Yeah. Uh, I wanted her to so bad. We all wanted her. And then not only does she die brutally, but then her body is, like, mutilated for the purpose of torturing the people of Joseon. Yeah, to be put on display. Um, so messed up. I don't know how to handle this, Takashimori. I don't... I don't know how He's... to handle this. We've seen some like fictionally evil people uh in K dramas as we like we've seen evil ghosts that were like resurrected as demons to try and murder the main characters and we've seen a bad guy that um in the last K drama we watched uh that pulled some stuff that's like I'm I can't get into it because this episode is not about that show and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen Tale of the Nine-Tailed. It's some messed up stuff. I think I remember saying that's a spooky villain. I have never mm-hmm. been so disturbed by a villain in a show and I think that's because um, this show is maybe like it's a fictionalized account of things in history but it's still atrocities in a historical setting when we see like these like torture and mutilation and people being beaten to death and interrogated ending shot in the head when he doesn't get what he wants and it's so i mean kudos to the actor and kudos to the writers but also like it's just it's disturbing because i think the historical element makes it feel too real and it's terrifying mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you said we last watched tale of the nine-tailed and even at its darkest moments or especially at its darkest moments you could convince yourself or remind yourself i suppose that it was fantasy that none of this happened it's okay this is all made up it's just a tv show and it's a fantasy tv show but when you've got a tv show that's based on history no matter how historically inaccurate or how fictionalized you can convince yourself this all is things like this happened and that's yeah hard to sleep with and i don't want to end the show on that note (laughs) so i think what we have to do is just like a quick little I don't know if you can call it round robin when it's just two people, but just like a quick little if you want to share a little about you thing this week so that we don't oh. end on genocide. That's a good idea. <laughs> oh, um, about me. Mm, you know, not much. Same as always. Still working. The school year's almost finished here. I don't know when this episode will come out, but it might be. At the end of the school year, I finished around the last week of March, and that's crazy. It is the last time 
maybe ever that I will teach English in Japan. Uh, yeah, it's really weird to think about. It's I've been here for three and a half years now, and I've taught English for maybe three of those years. I'm just gonna miss it, you know? It's weird saying goodbye to parts of your life that you know will never come back. Um, so I guess and nostalgic? It's... Yeah. <laughs> feeling bittersweet? Like nostalgic about something that I'm still going through because I am still working all the time. And that's making me appreciate every day that I get to go to work and see all the kids that I love with my whole heart. It's just weird feeling like I'm saying goodbye all the time. Yeah, just trying to soak it up. Yeah. You said it was three and a half years. It feels like 50. feels like you left 50 years ago. It's been 84 years. It's been 84 years. I've been here forever. Yeah. It's weird that I didn't come home for Christmas, so you and I haven't seen each other in over a year now. Yep. That one hit really hard when we knew it was going to happen, but also it was very par for the course of last year. Yeah. Um, so it was like kind of easier to deal with than than it would have been otherwise. Like the whole year prepared us for knowing that was the case. But I do remember around Christmas time thinking, in fact, Christmas night, because usually our schedule the past couple of years has been like, I go over to Jason's house across the street from my parents' house and you and me and Jason watch a movie, like a, just something. And and that's like what I did for Christmas night for a couple of years in a row even, because then we did it in college a couple of times too before you moved away. Mm -hmm. So that was that was weird. It was very it got me thinking about like how long it's been for sure. Yeah, time is passing us by, and I feel like <laughs> that to say time is an illusion. <laughs> time is an illusion. Nope, it feels very real right now. Yeah. For some reason, this year time has felt infinitely palpable, and that makes every day feel both like a blessing, like I'm so lucky to be leading the life that I'm leading and I'm so thankful for everything that I have, but also it's easy to just feel dead and my <laughs> world is just continually passing by me. It's Good a weird about you. feeling. <laughs> How are you doing, Raquel? Um, today I gave Maurice a bath. All right. It's been his like first one in a couple months. And later when we walked outside when the sun was still shining, it's late here now. Um, but when the sun was still shining, I looked at him and as he walked, fur was coming off of him and floating through the air like pollen. Whoa. Um, it was buck wild, and so yeah, I've been, that's been on my mind a lot. I don't know why. I just like hung on to it. I'm like, so as we walk through the house, am I just breathing that in? Do I just have like a bunch <laughs> of dog hair in me? That makes more sense. I was thinking like, what a poetic, like beautiful moment. <laughs> Serene walking your dog, maybe in the sunset, like a like a shot from Mr. Sunshine. But all these little puffballs floating through the air, little pieces of your dog that show that he's growing and that spring is coming. And you're like, <laughs> nope, 
<laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> That's in me now. I do think I eat a lot of dog hair. I think dog hair is part of my <laughs> diet at this point. Ew. Like I think it gets in my food for sure. I think I breathe it in at night. Um, he's not allowed in my bed because I am that concerned about breathing it in at night. Mm. And he's so soft, so it is kind of hard to put that limitation on myself as well occasionally when I'm <laughs> like, I just want to cuddle my dog. Uh, but I get on the floor to do that. I don't put him in my bed. I'm proud of you. It sounds hard. <laughs> <laughs> so email us at playonkpodcast at gmail.com. If you're either having an existential crisis or you have a dog. <laughs> if you email us about your dog and you don't send pictures, I will find you and I will play with your dog. <laughs> I will find you and I will ignore you because I want your dog. Um, Which is to can... say, sorry. No, you can go. Oh, I was just going to say, which is to say, if you email us about your dog, send us pictures. Please. Yeah, please. You can also find us on Instagram at Podcast or on Twitter at playonk to keep up with whenever we release a new episode or find out what we're going to watch next or anything at all. Yeah, um... We are streaming on a bunch of different websites, uh, pretty much anywhere that you can find your podcast, you can probably find us, and if you are able to rate, review, or subscribe on whatever platform you use, it helps us out a bunch, it helps other K-drama podcast lovers find us. Yeah, we would appreciate it so much. And we also have a website of our own, that's playonk.com. And there you can find a link to our Patreon if you want to sign up for that, get some bonus content, and support the podcast. You can sign up for our newsletter, where you can get emailed every time we start a new drama, or just keep up on with what I'm watching every month. And you can find links for affiliates of our podcast, including NordVPN and Blueberry Podcast Hosting, if you want some discounts on those. Yeah, and I think that's just about it. Thank you so much for listening, and join us next week for the finale of Mr. Sunshine. What the what? Big whoa. Big yeah. whoa. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.